0: know that I told you last time that I taught that we would finish Ephesians chapter 3 this time and get back into Ephesians 4 next time, but uh, it's not going to happen, <laughs> it's not going to happen, and Kim's been telling me that my sermons are too long, she's jumped on Frankie's bandwagon, so I had to, I had to, I had to cut, them, cut them back a little bit, but uh, for the sake of time, I'll only recap as needed when we go through the verses. I hope you've been paying attention. That's all I can say. I'm not going to do all the recap, but picking up where we left off, let's look at verses 14 through 21 of the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'll read them, and then we'll kind of go through them. Starting in verse 14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of Yahweh's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of the Almighty. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Yeshua, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now the subheading in my Bible for this particular section of Scripture says, Prayer for Spiritual Power. And basically that's exactly what it is. Paul's Prayer for Spiritual Inner Strength and Power. So we'll take these verses, verse by verse as usual, starting with verse 14. I'll read it again and then we'll kind of break this down. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Now, the last few times I talked, we were in the first 13 verses of chapter 3, and when we started it, I told you that Paul starts this chapter with verse 1, but he stops at the end of verse 1, and he kind of goes off on a rabbit trail. He starts another explanation of who he is. He gives a laid-out explanation for his ministry of how he was chosen and the grace that was given to him. He talks about how he's a servant of the gospel, and how the ministry that he was given has been a mystery kept for a, kept as a secret for a long, long time, up until a time, and that's the time of the apostles and the prophets. Paul includes all kinds of valuable information in this um, small section of detail that he gives, but he he's still trying to get a very important get to a very important part of this letter. Remember, verse one. Paul says, "For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of." Christ Yeshua on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he stops. He stops and he goes into this detailed exhibition of his ministry and the reason for it. Well, what Paul was about to do was pray. But like I said before, it seems as if he just wasn't quite through explaining himself. And so he starts again. Well, 12 verses later, he gets done with all that, and he starts again. Except this time, he's going to finish it. He's going to pray for the saints. See, it's not just enough to tell somebody their position in Christ and to tell them how their position came about, you also must pray that they understand that position, who they are, what their resources are, how they're to utilize those resources, so forth and so on. So Paul prays here in verses 14 and 15. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? What does it mean that every family in heaven and on earth is named? Well, once again, this is a widely debated subject, so I'll give you a couple theological positions on the verse. One position is this. The name given is not a personal name given to individuals, but that it's the recognition of the one who is behind it. Like this, for example. Yahweh's our king, right? He's our father, and for that reason, we're all Yahweh's sons. We're all named along with the rest of the sons of Yahweh. The angels, other saints, his only begotten son, all the patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and the disciples of old. We carry the family name of Yahweh because we're Yahweh's sons. This concept would go along with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of Yahweh's household. We would be not only fellow citizens, but also children of Yahweh. And by that, we possess the mighty name of Yahweh. That's not to say that we're all named Yahweh. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that we are all part of his family. We carry that family name. And also notice that this verse doesn't say families plural, but families singular, including everything on earth and in heaven. Which leads me to another point. When it says every family in heaven and on earth is named, I still hold the position that the heavens and the earth in view here are in reference to the Gentiles and the Judahites. Remember the last few times that I've taught, I've been explaining that the word heavenly equates to the Judahites and the word earthly is equal to the Gentiles. So the Judahites being heavenly and the Gentiles being earthly. In other words, Paul is saying, I bow before the Father from whom every family of heavenly Judites and earthly Gentiles is named. All people on earth. Paul prays for both parties, here before the Father who created them all, everybody's Yahweh's Son. I believe this lines up with chapter 2 and verse 17 through 19. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Judites. For through him we both have access by one Spirit, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of Yahweh's household. In other words, through Christ, both parties, Jew and Gentile, have access by the same Spirit to the Father. So Paul's invoking this access here. By the Spirit, through Christ, I, Paul, am praying to the Father, from whom both parties are named. By the good news brought to us by our Father, in that good news of Christ, we are all one in unity and faith in each other, Judite and Gentile. We all believe in the gospel message for our salvation. It's that very belief that makes us sons of Yahweh, part of his own family. We are sons of Abraham. We are sons of faith. This specifically is who Paul is praying for. Now that's one theological view. That's not the only one. Let me give you one more. There's several I'm sure I've studied too in the process of this. If somebody can enlighten me on something else, i will be glad to listen. But this is the second view. Some scholars say that the name given to every family in heaven and on earth is the name Christian, our followers of Christ. These scholars say that this name is in reference to all the followers of Christ who have believed in, the, in his person and have gained salvation by their faith in him. They also concur that the reference to heavens and earth are references to those saints who have gone on before us and are already with the Father and to those saints who are still here living on earth today. Now, while this sounds good, I get what they're saying, and while that sounds good, I believe contextually it's the first of these options that offers an accurate understanding of the verse. All of chapter 2 has been centered around the unification of both Judahite and Gentile, heavenly and earthly uh, metaphors used here. So when Paul says he bows his knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, I believe... He is drawing both parties together in his prayer and praying for all these, both Judah and Gentile, who have placed their faith in the work of Christ and have become the members of Yahweh's household. In other words, he's praying for the Christians. Whether Judahite or Gentile, it doesn't matter. As long as their faith is in Christ, Paul's bowing his knees before the Father for him and saying, hey, these, this is the family of heaven and earth. Let's look at verse 16. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner man. So Paul starts to pray for the saints. And the first thing that he references is the riches that Yahweh has. He prays that Yahweh would grant the saints with power through his Holy Spirit and the inner man. Number one, notice Paul doesn't pray for monetary gains for the saints. He doesn't pray for peace. He doesn't pray for long life. He doesn't even pray for their health. He simply prays for spiritual strength in the inner man. I don't think that it's wrong to pray for people's health. I don't think it's wrong to pray for peace for people. But if you'll look back through all of Paul's epistles, I think you will rarely find that he prays for anything other than the spiritual nature of a man. He simply prays for the spiritual strength in their inner man. Now, we don't have to make this more than it is. Paul's not talking about two different men, the inner man and the outer man, or a man with split personalities or schizophrenia. He simply is talking about the spiritual man and the physical man, all one person. Paul's not praying for the physical body, but that which drives the physical body. Some call it the spirit. I would call it a man's nature, the nature of a man. Paul's praying that our nature would be strengthened with the power to do what? To believe, to comprehend, to know the love of Yahweh and his mercy that he's shown us. Notice also that Paul says he prays this, that Yahweh would grant us this power according to the riches of his glory. Notice he doesn't say out of the riches of his glory, but according to the riches of his glory. That's big to me. Let me give you an example of the difference. Um, I've given it before, but you've slept since then, so I'm going to give it again. So let's say I go up to a stranger, okay, who's a town millionaire of a town, and I say to him, sir, I have a fundraiser going on, and I would like to know if you would help. And the man reaches into his pocket, and he gives me $25. Now, that man blessed me out of his riches. Out of his riches. But let's say that I go to another town millionaire that I know is a millionaire, and I tell him the exact same thing, and this millionaire gives me $100,000. Okay? This man blessed me according to his riches. There's a big difference. Both gave some But one gave according to his riches, he gave a sacrifice according to how rich he was. I hope you get my point, folks. Yahweh holds the keys to the entire universe. He owns everything in it. We know no one who has possessions like he does, nor has the authority to bless people the way that he can with his possession. So think about this. If Yahweh blesses you with a dose of the Holy Spirit in your inner man according to his riches, you can bet It'll be powerful. He's got it all. So if he blesses you according to that, it's a great. It's, great. It's, a, it's, a, it's in an abundance. Amen. John the Baptist was blessed with the Holy Spirit according to Yahweh's riches so much that he leaped within his mother's womb. Amen. It's a big thing that Paul's asking for here. It's a huge prayer. We all could use a big dose of the Spirit. I said on the Sabbath last time when I spoke up here taking testimonies that I'm praying for Yahweh to just engulf me with the Holy Spirit. And the reason is, is because if he does, and I can't have it. If he doesn't give it, I don't. I don't get it, folks. I can't get it on my own. I want so bad to be on fire for Yahweh. I want to love Yahweh. I want. I want His Spirit to flow through me so much that when someone sees me, they think I am incredibly weird. I want them to look at me and they say, "There's somebody different. There's something going on with that guy. He's strange." I want to be slapped on fire for Yahweh. I want to have all the fruits of the Spirit: joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to be each slam up with it. So I've been praying for it, just like Paul prays here for the saints, that according to Yahweh's riches, according to his riches, and for his glory, that he may grant me the strength through his spirit and my inner man. So get some. <laughs> so get some, guys. pray for Yahweh to impose his will on your flesh and to put so much Holy Spirit on you that you can't get it off. I think I'm going to make a new slogan. Got Holy Spirit? Question mark. <laughs> I think somebody will buy it. So, uh, I think, I think sometimes, man, I really don't, uh, I really don't want to work on a sermon. I, I think a lot of times, I just rather watch football. I just want to sit down there in the living room, and watch football, or go outside and feed my chickens, or whatever be the case. I just, spiritual side's just not kicked off in me, and I'm not interested in it. And, uh, or maybe sometimes I just don't have the spiritual strength to be kind to somebody or to be patient with somebody that's getting on my nerves. And people do it. There's a lot of them. I'm sure I get on a lot of people's nerves, but I just don't have that spiritual man that's just not built up inside of me that uh, I can deal with somebody like that or do my work for Yahweh. So I want Yahweh to jump on me with both feet. I want him to get all over me, put it all in me. Well, what I should do when I don't feel like I have the strength to control this old flesh I should pray. I should pray just like Paul did here. I should pray for my spiritual man. You should pray for your spiritual man. And for that matter, I should pray for your spiritual man and you should pray for mine. Yeah. We should all pray for our own as well as others. I should stop what I'm doing in a moment of weakness and say, Yahweh, help me. My old, flesh, my old flesh is making it hard for me to walk according to the way that you have for me to walk. Give me the spiritual strength so that the inner man is stronger than the outer man so that my flesh will have to be subject to my spirit. If my fleshly man is stronger than my spiritual man, he will win every single time. He will win every single time. I've got to get the spiritual man stronger. That's what we should do. I know it sounds crazy, but we can overcome it if we want to. You know Paul battled with his flesh too. Romans 7 talks all about it. You ought to go read it sometime. Let me give you another way to help that spiritual man while we're on the subject. This is what we have to do. We have to feed him. Amen. We have to feed him. If your spiritual man is weak, then he needs to eat. How many people in here have ever gotten sick, and mom comes in the room when you're sick, and what she say? need to eat something. That's what my mama says. Matter of fact, we make sure that my mama doesn't find out if I get a cold because chicken noodle soup is soon to follow. You're going to eat something, you know. You don't let her know. I love my mama. She's, she's a good woman. She's been good to me, taken care of me, and raised me my whole life but she's going to make sure you eat. That's just what mamas do. The heck with Robitussin and yeah. ibuprofen all that stuff, get chicken noodle soup, ginger ale, and dry crackers. That's what I got. You know, this'll, That'll cure anything. But the spiritual man has to eat. He's just like the physical man. If he doesn't, he'll starve to death, and I mean spiritually starve. And the way you feed him is you make everything in life about him. You won't like this, but this is what you need to do. You need to make everything in life about it spiritual. You need to wake up reading the Bible. You need to go to bed reading the Bible. You need to listen to Christian music. You need to be in this church every time the door is open. You need to have biblical conversations with biblical people throughout the day. You need to pray often. You need to fast often. You need to make every effort to make everything you think about be spiritual. And that's what it takes to starve that fleshly man out. And let me tell you something. If you'll feed him, he will grow. If you constantly try to feed him, With spiritual things, he will grow. And let me also tell you this. As he grows, you will sin less and less, and you'll see less of the physical man. The old flesh can't stand the spiritual man. And before long, the flesh will start to diminish. You will sin less. You will love more. You'll get off the wider path, and you'll get on the straight one and the narrow one. Never to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. There was only one that was perfect. But in striving to be more like him, and in feeding the spiritual things, you will grow and become stronger through the Holy Spirit. But you're going to have to desire to focus on the holy things. How many people in here know that we never stop sinning? I've heard it say that a man can become perfect, but I don't believe that. A man, he's born with sinful flesh, and no matter how hard you try, you're going to stumble. I don't believe that anybody ever stops sinning, whether or not they can or not. I guess that's always up for debate. But um, I don't believe that we ever stop sinning. You'll never completely stop. However... How many people know that the life of a saint is not characterized as sinless? A saint's not characterized as being sinless. But instead, a saint is a person whose sins diminish as they grow. They fade. As a saint grows and is sanctified, his life slowly but surely resembles that of Christ. Full of love, full of repentance, full of brokenness, and always changing for the good. That's what a saint does. He doesn't become flawless. He just becomes forgiven. That's it. That's the idea of the saint. We're all works in progress, and we need to pray for a heavy-duty quantity of the Holy Spirit. We need it poured on us so that our inner man can be strengthened, and our outer man will die. And eventually, that outer man will start to look like an inner man. If the stronger that inner man gets, the outer man's going to put off the same thing that's inside of you. Let's look at verse seventeen. It says, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's just finishing up verse 16 here. He's praying for the strength of the inner man so that the Messiah may dwell in our hearts. So not only does he pray for the inner strength from the spirit for Yahweh of Yahweh, he prays that your hearts will be full of the Messiah. Again, so that we may become more Christ-like. That's the idea. I taught a while back that the heart was the organ used in Hebrew thought. For intellect and understanding, that was that was the organ that was used to portray intellect, insight, things like that, if you will. Well, Paul's praying here that you may constantly be in thought about the Messiah, that he may be the most important thing on your mind. And he prays that you know, without a doubt, who he, who he is through faith. It's important that we don't lose our focus on our Lord. We can't lose sight, or we might miss the target. How does this happen? How does Yeshua... Make his way in and dwell into our hearts. Well, he does it when we yield to the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. We yield, we give way to the Holy Spirit, and then the Messiah can can be inside of us. We just got through talking about this in verse 16. When we set everything aside and yield to the Holy Spirit, he starts to fill us. One author explains it like this. When Yeshua comes into into dwell in you, he starts to clean everything up. He wants to make his home with you, but he can't live in filth. So he starts in the kitchen, and he says, Ma'am, what's this guy been eating? And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. What's this guy been eating? Has he been eating from Yahweh's table? And the answer is probably no. So he starts there, and he starts to get rid of all the filth, and he fills the kitchen with good food. And then he goes into the living room where the fellowship takes place, and he says, Who has this guy been conversing with, and what kind of topics have been being discussed? Then he starts to clean that out. He gets rid of all the old friends and the carnality in the living room, and he replaces it with new friends and spiritual discussions. And then he goes on to the closet, and nobody wants him to go to the closet. (laughs) Stay out of the closet. You go anywhere else in this house, but just don't get in that closet. It's going to embarrass me. But that's the part of the house that has to be cleaned, too. So he goes in there, and he finds all the skeletons, all the stuff that's been tucked away that we only get out when no one's around, the stuff we don't want anybody to see. And he just pulls the dump trailer up in front of the house at this point and he just starts chunking stuff because we've got so many skeletons and all that kind of stuff and just bad stuff in our closet and uh, stuff that we've hidden. And he starts to fill it back up with holy things like Bibles and prayer mats and spiritual discussion and study and holy things of that nature. Then last but certainly not least, he goes down to the basement and he checks out the workshop and he looks around in there and he examines the tools that you have to work with. And we all have these. We all have tools. We have gifts that Yahweh's given us. Do we use them? That would be the question. So he cleans those tools up and he greases them and he oils them and he gets them back into working condition so that we can use the gifts that we've been blessed with spiritually. And all this to make us spiritually susceptible for the indwelling of Christ. Again, that's just something I read, but I thought it was a good analogy. Folks, Yeshua can't dwell in a filthy place. Neither can the Holy Spirit. Do you recall how perfect the tabernacle had to be for Yahweh to dwell in it? Do you remember how holy the priest had to be even to enter it? Well, why would we think it needs to be any different for Yeshua to live in our own persons? It wouldn't be. And one might say this, how do we even know he's in there? Well, I guess we'll just have to know by faith. Because that's what Paul says. He dwells in our hearts by faith. Now, the evidence of Yeshua living in you will result in changes in your character. That's what will take place. But we ultimately know it. By faith, we believe that he lives within us. I know that Yeshua lives in me by faith, but the purification of my life is a strong indicator of him being there. As I start to grow, as I start to become sanctified, that's an indication that I've got something holy living within me, something dwelling inside of me. I try my best to keep his words and I obey his commandments, but I don't do it right every time. I'm not perfect. I don't get it right every time. John chapter 4 and verse 23 says this. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him. And we will come in him and make our home with him. So that's the criteria, folks. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Let him clean up the vessel that you are so that you might be clean enough for our Lord to dwell inside of you. Mm -hmm. And the result of a clean house with a glorified Savior living within it will be a sanctified human being who walks like Yeshua walked. And talk like Yeshua talks. Now that leads me to my next and final point today. I know I said I was going to finish this chapter today, but I just can't. And I don't want to do it in injustice, so we'll pick it back up next time I teach. But for now, let's look at the remainder of verses 17 and then verse 18. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of Yahweh's love. So here's the next step, folks. Paul prays that you'd be rooted and grounded in love so that you could comprehend the magnitude of his love, of Yahweh's love. We've talked about the first two steps. First is the yielding to the Holy Spirit of Yahweh so that through his power we may be strengthened in our inner man. Second was the indwelling of Christ in our home, if you will. And now Paul prays that we would be firmly established in love. This is the final step to completing the saint. See a strong inner man leads to the Christ living at your home, which then leads you to be grounded in love. The first two steps have to take place first. Then the result of those two is that Christ now has unrestricted access to your heart. See, when Yeshua is able to come in and dwell in your life, he will start to start to permeate the place. Just kind of takes over. And as that happens, you'll start to grow and show forth his character, not your character, not your outer self, but you'll start, to, you'll start to show his character. And his character is love. That's exactly what it is. Christ is love. When his very presence enters your life, you will have no choice but to act like him. Have you ever heard the saying, you are the company you keep? Yes. Heard that? Well, it's true. If Christ lives within you, you'll act like him. If the old devil lives within you, you'll act like him. Well, that's exactly what happens. When Christ moves in, everything else moves out. And you become a vessel that he works through. You'll start to portray his very nature and brothers and sisters. His nature is love. See, once we, experience, once we experience love, then we're able to comprehend it. Love's not something that, you can, that can be explained. It's something that has to be experienced. Love's not an emotion, even though we call it such in the world that we live in today. Rather, love is an attitude of selflessness. An attitude of unselfish sacrifice and an attitude of service. That's what love is. It's not an emotion. Love is a service. Love is never described as an emotion in the Bible. The fruit of the Spirit begins in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 with love. But the rest of the verbs that follow love in that verse are attributes of love. That's right. They are what results from the first fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Right. Love is an act. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, it doesn't say God so loved the world. <laughs> That he showed a lot of emotion. It doesn't say that. It says, God so loved loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was an act of selflessness. It was an act of love. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, no one has greater love than this, than someone would show great emotion to his friend. No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. No one has greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend's. That's what it says, laying down his life for his friend. That's an act of love. That's an act of charity. That's an act of service. We could actually replace both of the words here in verses 17 and 18 with service and sacrifice. And it would be so much more meaningful. Let me read it to you this way. Pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in service, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height, and depth of Yahweh's sacrifice. See, folks, we can't comprehend Yahweh's sacrifice until we understand love. Yahweh's love is greater than ours, but if we can start to practice selflessness towards one another, then we'll start to see the magnitude of Yahweh's selflessness towards us, the magnitude of his love. I assure you, it was a great sacrifice for Yahweh to slay his only begotten son. It was a big deal. It wasn't a joke to him. It was a perfect son, and he slayed him for a bunch of wretches like like us. That's truly love. I think it bears repeating. Let me read it one more time that way. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in service, may be able to comprehend the length and width and height and depth of Yahweh's sacrifice. True love is service to others. And when we have that, then we can fathom the magnitude of Yahweh's service to us. So I think that's very powerful. His service was his, was a sacrifice of his one and only son. We, In order to get that, we've got to, we've got to know what love is. He's got to dwell within us. Our inner man's got to be changed. The Holy Spirit's got to come in. Amen. So to somewhat wrap this up, let me go over these three keys to Paul's prayer again. First, let's yield to the Holy Spirit. Let him change our inner man so that he may direct the outer man. That's number one. Second, Christ must be welcome in our home to purify and clean it out so that he's comfortable being there. Nobody wants to live where they're not comfortable. Nobody wants to live where they're not wanted. Nobody wants to live where they're not talked to every day. I don't want to go sit in your living room and you walk by me every day. Go out to work, come back in, go to bed. Here I am. I'm the guest in your home, sitting there, and you just you bypass me every day. Well, that's what Christ is in your home. He's there, but if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you don't make it pleasurable for Him to leave, who wants to be there? I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. So we must. He must be welcome in our home to purify it and clean us out so that he's comfortable being there. And third, once he's there, his character will will permeate us and turn us into a vessel that he's visible through. That's the idea. When you look at me, you should see Christ. If he's he's within me, when you look at me, that's what you should see. You should see something that resembles him so that our love for, for others becomes a service as it should. This prayer should be a prayer. For all of us, for each other, it's a very special and well thought out prayer. Paul thought about this when he prayed this. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was thrown together. It was something that was well thought out. A while back during my study of this epistle, I want to tell you a story real quick. Uh, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway because I think it's important and it's, it's kind of a testimony of mine. A while back during my study of this epistle, I was reading this verse and I'm going to pick on Danny for a minute. He's not here, so if he's listening, I hope he is. I was I was reading this epistle a while back. It's been several months ago. When I read this prayer, I thought, Wow, what a prayer. What a prayer. And it made me think of Danny. Not because I really understood love or the meaning behind behind love, I guess, but because I associated love with kindness and gentleness and things of that nature. And also I'd gotten to a point where I was tired of doctrinal disputes and trying to determine who knows more about doctrine than the next fellow. I just got sick of it. So I sent this verse to Danny and I told him this was my prayer for him. I sent it to him in a text message. I prayed that he, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of Yahweh's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so he may be filled with all the fullness of Yahweh. I sent this prayer because it was also a prayer for me. It was a prayer that I wanted to take place in my life. And I also sent it to kind of send a signal that knowledge was not nearly as great as the love that surpasses knowledge. Knowledge is great, but it's not as great as the love that surpasses it. And it was kind of an effort to say that the love is far more important than any doctoral issue that may ever arise, seeing that love is far greater. So this was the reason I sent it to him. Well, I didn't really understand what love meant when I sent him this text. I didn't really understand love as a sacrifice or a service like I just explained to y'all, but rather I still probably thought of it as just an emotion. However, over the course of the next few months, Danny would call me and he would talk about scriptural things. And it seems to me that the only thing Danny ever wanted to talk about was how we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves and be servants to other people. It's been on his plate for the last three or four months. And every time he talks, that's what he talks about, how we're supposed to be servants to somebody else. And that's what the angels did. And this, that, and the other. They were servants for, for people. They were mediators, things like that. Well, folks, that's exactly what I prayed for. I prayed that he would understand that, that we would understand that. And I think he got it. I just didn't know that that's what I was praying for until I studied this passage for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But that's what this verse teaches, that we may be rooted and grounded in service. Our sacrifice to others so that we may understand Yahweh's sacrifice for us. So for that I'm thankful Yahweh answered a prayer for me that I really didn't even know that I was asking. Now i tell you that, not to not to pick on Danny or point out Danny by any means, but it's just something that I've noticed in him over the last few months. I just thought it was, thought it was pretty neat. He's been concentrating on the love of his brother, but his love is his service. And that's exactly what love is supposed to be. It's amazing how Yahweh shows us things through other people. And I'm thankful for it. So as we close out today, let this be a prayer of ours. For ourselves and for others. We need to pray for the saints just like Paul did. Pray that Yahweh send his spirit upon the souls of man. So that they may be directed by that spirit. Pray that Yahweh and Yeshua make a home in the saints. And that they permeate their every being and consume that saint. So that we may fully understand love for one another. And love for Yahweh. And may Yahweh receive all the glory through it. According to his riches. Yahweh Father we thank you for this day. We thank you for this day. I thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness. Yahweh I pray that you'll just. uh, Open our minds. Open our hearts. Father I pray that you'll infiltrate our hearts with your spirit. Father I pray that we'll let your son in. And that you'll just force your way upon us Father. Just take over in our own lives. and, And uh. Make us a dwelling place for you and your son, Father. I just, um, we love you today. We th- we're so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the sacrifice. I'm thankful for the understanding that you've given me on this, Father. I pray that I've, I've done it justice by teaching it tonight, and and I just pray that you're glorified, Father. We lift you up today. Lift you up today. Give you all the honor, all the glory. And we ask ask all this in your holy son's name.